So this is a strange passage to share on Mother's Day, don't you think? Hate your mother. That's what Jesus said. But it's actually very pivotal. We're in this message series entitled Decide or Default. And the simple central idea is this. Either you will decide to develop your soul or that decision will default to someone else. Someone else will make the decision for you. We've been asking a series of questions throughout this series so that we can better understand how to develop our soul. And today we simply want to ask this question, will I be disciplined? Now, most of us have a negative view about discipline. But if you think about it, discipline is key to life. (laughs) If you're a mom and you're here today, you know all about discipline because you want to try to discipline your children to brush their teeth, to go to bed at the right time, to get up, to go to school, because that is our essential skills in life. But when we talk about discipline, we often talk about it in very selective ways. For example, we'll look at an athlete who's very disciplined and we'll say, man, that guy is so disciplined. That is so amazing. (laughs) But his relational life is a wreck. He's learned how to discipline one part of his soul, but he's not learned to discipline his relationships. Or we want our pilots to be disciplined people about their emotions, right? I mean, you don't want a pilot to have a bad day when you're getting on an airliner. And so a pilot may have great discipline about their emotions, be cool in a crisis, but they may be horrible at taking care of their bodies. I think most of us like to be disciplined when it works for us. And Jesus knows this about us. And that's why when he begins to talk about the discipline of following him, he talks about it in very different terms. Most of the time when we think about discipline, we think in terms of let's try harder. And if you grew up going to church, you probably heard this message dozens of times. Try harder to read the Bible. Try harder to pray. Try harder to give. Try harder to fast. Those are essential disciplines, but isn't it true trying harder really doesn't work? Doesn't, does it? No. And Jesus knows this. And so that's why in the passage that was read, Jesus unpacks for us the core understanding of what it means to be disciplined and then gives us four principles of a disciplined life. So here's the big idea that Jesus shares in this passage. I'm going to condense it down for you. It's very simply this. Devotion determines discipline. Devotion determines discipline. I have known women who could not get up out of bed in the morning And then they had a baby. And they got up. And they punched their husbands and said, you're going to get up too. Their devotion to their child determined their discipline, right? Hey, men, I know some of you. You have a hard time getting to work on time. You're late all the time. It's hard for you to get out of bed. But in turkey season, you're up at 4 a.m. You are in the blind. You are there waiting for that magnificent bird to outwit him, that bird who has a brain about the size of your thumb. Devotion determines discipline. So listen now to Jesus unpack what that means for us. Jesus says this this very offensive thing. In verse 26, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, 
wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own wife, such a person cannot be my disciples. This sounds so harsh. Now, I know some of you think it's not a problem for me to hate my brothers and sisters. I got that part down. But Jesus does say to us, love people, love each other as I've loved you, love your enemies, love your neighbor. And now he's saying, hate people? What is this all about? We need to understand Jesus' world. In the ancient world, both the Jewish and the Roman world, the family was considered your first loyalty. To betray your family was to commit the ultimate sin. And so the head of the family would be the father. Whatever the father said, went. And so if the father believed in a certain God, you had to believe in that same God. Religion was not freely chosen. It was enforced by your family bonds. So what's Jesus saying? The first principle of devotion is what I call first devotion. First principle is first devotion. Meaning, if it comes between your family and Jesus, you choose Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now, do you think the worship of family still exists? If you look at social media, we seem to spend a lot of time trying to portray the fact that we have perfect marriages and perfect families and perfect kids. And I know those of you who are grandparents, you have perfect grandchildren. I know this. But the truth is, we spend a lot of time trying to pretend it's almost like worship. So in this principle of first devotion, Jesus is inviting us to let our devotion guide our discipline. The word discipline comes from the word disciple, which means to apprentice. It means you learn from a master. I bumped into a friend of mine the other day in a parking lot, and we just caught up a little bit, and he's an electrician, and it just came up naturally in conversation. He said, you know, I learned how to wire a house for my dad. He said, as soon as I was out of diapers, my dad took me with him on jobs. He said, I was pulling wire underneath a house when I was five years old, and I thought, that's a brilliant dad. He was teaching his son. He was modeling for him, and he had a five-year-old to crawl under the house so he didn't have to. We're supposed to look at Jesus and say, what Jesus does, that's what I do. That's what it means to be devoted. We are obligated, yes, to relate to our family, even to love our family, but Jesus says, this is what I want you to choose. Would you choose Jesus over your family? This is a true story, but the name has been changed. There's a woman named Anne. She grew up in a Buddhist family. She accepted Christ when she was in high school, and then when she was in college, she got real involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, what's known as Crew. And her grades began to slip. She'd been a straight-A student. They slipped to Bs. I know some of you would be grateful if your students got raised to Bs, but still. And so this became a point of contention because Anne's parents felt like she was spending so much time with her Christian friends, she wasn't being devoted enough to family. And it was right before Mother's Day, and Anne's mother said, what, what are you going to do for me for Mother's Day? And Anne said, oh, well, I'd hope we could celebrate Mother's Day on Saturday because there's something I want to do at church on Sunday. And the atmosphere around the table changed. 
Anne's father said, really, really? You are going to ignore your mother who gave birth to you, who fed you on Mother's Day for this guy, Jesus? Do you love Jesus more than you love your mother? Anne is thinking, well, I wouldn't exactly put it that way. And she said, well, let me get up from the table and let me go pray, which is not a bad strategy. She went to her room, closed the door, and just within a minute, her dad burst into her room and said, get out. You are no longer our daughter. We are not your parents because you keep loving this Jesus more than you love us. Now, when I tell you that story, a couple of things I want you to think about. Number one, if you grew up with a family that never forced you to make that choice, give God thanks. The second thing I want you to hear is Anne's words. Can you imagine how devastating that was? And yet Anne said, even if I have to be disowned 10 billion times, I will do it. I just want to cling to Jesus. He has promised us a hundred times if we have to leave our families. Now, Jesus also says you need to hate your own life. That's tough. Literally, you have to hate your own soul. And the same principle applies. Hate your soul so you can follow me. I don't think any of this really makes sense until you understand how broken your soul is. All of us have this terminal disease in our soul. It's called sin. And sin keeps ravaging us and it will destroy your soul. You who know people and you've seen sin destroy their soul, destroy their life. You know, you're thinking of those people right now. And when you realize that everyone in your family has a broken soul, you realize why you shouldn't worship your family any more than you should worship your own soul. So, so let me just kind of unpack this a little bit for you. I know your brothers and sisters, and you know about your brothers and sisters, you know they are all flawed, right? And you know this also probably about your spouse, that they are flawed, and you know this about your kids. You really know this about your kids. And I know this is Mother's Day, and we honor our mothers, but do you realize your mother was a sinner? In fact, if you're in church right now with your mom, just turn to her and just say, yeah, you're a sinner. No, don't do that. It's Mother's Day, for heaven's sakes. You see, once we realize that it's broken people in a broken family, only then do we really understand why it makes sense to be fully devoted to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can heal the sickness, the terminal illness in our soul. So let me encourage you, before you start trying harder to be a better person or to be more disciplined, get your devotion right. Figure out who you're going to be devoted to. And start asking, does it make sense to be devoted to Jesus Christ? Maybe you need to ask, what is blocking my 100% devotion? Is it a hobby? Is it, is it your pride? Is it some illness that you have? Is it, is it your career, your ambition? Maybe a good prayer to pray is, Heavenly Father, whatever's in the way of 100% devotion, I give that to you. So God, I know I'm tempted to worship my, 
my family. So I'm going to give my family to you. I know I'm tempted to worship success. I give success to you. Whatever's in the way of 100% devotion, I give to you. Now, Jesus is not done being offensive. He goes on and he says, in verse 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. A cross is an instrument of death. And this is the second principle. Devotion demands a death. And you know this. When Gina and I got married, I knew that there would be this long line of women that I would have to go to and say, look, any hope you have of marrying me is dead. And so I went to find these women. And they had all gone to lunch, apparently, because there was nobody in line. But isn't it true? Isn't it true? I mean, anything that you're really devoted to, something else has to die. Now, this is so far from most of our thinking. Most of us want to follow Jesus but not change anything. But change requires you saying no to something so you can say yes to something better. That's what it means to take up your cross. There are people around the world who do this literally. They are often killed and persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so sometimes when I hear American Christians talk about, you know, oh, we just live in such horrible, terrible times, I just want to say, you have no idea. Don't be such a whiner. See, I think the number one thing American Christians need to let die is comfort. I was in a conference with Craig Rochelle a couple of weeks ago. He's a pastor in, in Oklahoma. And, and he said something very insightful. He said, I think the next 10 years are going to be very difficult for Jesus' followers and for Jesus' church. And Craig went on to say, our culture is increasingly hostile to the values that we Jesus' followers hold. Culture is hostile to our, our values about sexuality and about marriage they're hostile to our, our values about the sanctity of life and even about justice. Now, Craig didn't say this, but this is my, my thought, is I think he's right. And I think we waste our energy when we are fighting for our rights. Because Jesus never told us to do that. What did Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow me. And we need to say, this is our cross and Jesus is worth it. So, we're going to love babies that are not yet born, even if that puts us at odds with, with culture. We are going to say, this is what marriage is, even if this is at odds with culture. We are going to say, this is what it means for us to love our enemies. We are not gonna be hateful people on social media because this is what it means to follow Jesus. Whatever we have to endure, it is worth it because Jesus is worth it. We will take up our cross and we will follow. And notice that Jesus repeats word for word what he said earlier. You cannot be my disciple. Look, unless you take up your cross, 
You can't be my disciple. Unless you, you know, hate your mom, dad, family, your soul, can't be my disciple. Those are scary words. You think Jesus here is just kidding? Or do you think he's serious? Because if he's serious, what it means is we can't fool ourselves. We can't pretend that just going through some vague religious ritual makes us a really devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I think Jesus is saying, stop believing that you're okay with me just because occasionally you come to church or just because occasionally you you open your Bible. Unless this is really something you're devoted to, you're, you're not really my disciple. Isn't this a feel-good message? Don't you just feel wonderful right now? Well, they actually should. And the third principle that we're going to see is going to help you. Jesus is going to tell us three stories. We're going to look at the first two and then look at the third. And they're very short stories. You've, You've heard these. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. What, what, what does Jesus say? Jesus really is giving us this third principle, which is devotion asks, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? I I think you know people and I know people, maybe you are one of these people. It's like you started following Jesus and, and you get to this point and you are like the man who started to build a tower. He got halfway up, ran out of money. He didn't figure his costs. And God put in front of you a, a next step and you said the cost is too high. You know, it was okay when I was just kind of serving a little bit and giving a little bit of money. And then God really spoke to me in a sermon and I got convicted and God said, I really want you to get serious about about giving or I want you to really get serious about the hate in your heart. I want you to really get serious about mending these relationships. And you said, Lord, I just don't want to do that. Well, you didn't count the cost of following Jesus. And every next step you take with Jesus will cost you something. Jesus, in the second story, says, okay, think about a king. He's got 10,000 troops and coming against him in battle is a guy with 20,000. He's got to figure out a battle plan how he beats the king with 20,000 with his 10,000. Can 10,000 troops beat 20,000? Yes, if the 10,000 are more devoted. But if the king looks at his troops and says, you know, I don't think their heart is really in this battle, he better figure out how to get out with his skin. And then Jesus tells us the third story. It's real short. In verse 33, he said, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Literally in Greek, it says, those of you who do not say goodbye to your possessions. That's just a little story in a few words. 
there was a pastor who was preaching this passage and he, he really was drawing out this part about you have to say goodbye to your possessions. You have to say goodbye to your possessions. And he went home that afternoon and uh, like most pastors, he took a nap. But as he was settling down, he could hear his three-year-old son who had been in the service go into the bathroom and shut the door. And of course, dad's thinking this is good. Right, three-year-olds going to the bathrooms by themselves, that is good. And he hears the toilet flush. And then about 30 seconds later, he hears the toilet flush again. About 30 seconds later, he hears the toilet flush again. 30 seconds later, he hears it flush again. And you know what that pastor is thinking? Where is his mother? But he realizes he's got to get up. He's got to get up from his nap and go see what's going on. So he goes in, opens the door, and there is his three-year-old son standing over the toilet, dropping a golf ball into the toilet and saying, bye-bye, bye-bye. Now, it's not wrong to have possessions. It's wrong for possessions to possess you. I had a friend who had a lake house down at Santillian. He would tell me, he said, it's just an aggravation. Something's always broke, I have to go down and fix it. I have to carry my lawnmower down there all the time. I have, to, I have to fix everything up down there. I have to cut the grass every week. I'm cutting, maintaining two houses. It's just a pain in the neck. Do you think he owned that lake house or did that lake house own him? So I said to him, I think I know the answer to your problem. Give me the lake house. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work either. And Jesus once again says, look, unless you do this, you can't be my disciples. Three times he said this. Is being fully devoted to Jesus worth it? That's what devotion asks. And if you don't immediately say yes, then you do not understand the sickness of your soul. You don't understand how much you need Jesus. You don't understand the depth of his love and his grace. You don't understand his forgiveness and peace and how it can change your life and give you hope. You still think you can do life on your own. Now, if you're not a believer, this is really hard. And even if you are a believer, this can be tough to say, okay, Jesus is worth everything. So I want to encourage you to pray a prayer this week. And prayer goes like this. Heavenly Father, please show me Jesus is worth everything. Real simple. Heavenly Father, show me Jesus is worth everything. Heavenly Father, show me Jesus is worth everything. I want to challenge you to pray this prayer every day this week. And then let me know how it goes. If, if you don't mind, if you have a story about how God shows up in your life, email me, claysmith at adbc.org. Claysmith, adbc.org. All right, one more principle. Jesus finishes out this section of teaching, and it, it sounds strange because it doesn't quite fit, but it really does. Jesus says, salt is good. By the way, the next time you go to the doctor, just look him in the eye and say, Jesus says salt is good. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. 
it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So, so what does salt have to do with devotion? In Jesus' area, they would have gotten most of their salt from the Dead Sea, also known as the Salt Sea, but it would not have been pure salt like we have. It would have had mineral impurities, and it would lose its flavor after a period of time. And when it's not good for anything, you just throw it out. I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, if you fail these things, then boom, you get thrown out. What, what I do think Jesus is saying is the fourth principle. Your devotion determines your direction. See, earlier Jesus had said, you're the salt of the earth. And now Jesus is saying, so be the salt. If you're really devoted to me, you have a purpose. And if you're really devoted to me, you're going to live out that purpose. You're going to be the flavor that changes the taste of this world. Your sociologists tell us it only takes about 10% of the population to change the direction of a culture, 10%. And we've actually seen that. We're living in that era right now, 10% of our population greatly influencing the direction of our culture. But Christians actually discovered this first. You see, before Christians, when people were sick, they were often left to die. But Christians would stay and care for them. Christians built the first hospital. That's why still so many hospitals in areas have religious names. It was because people of faith said, hey, we need a hospital. Nobody else is going to build it. We'll build it. In Jesus' day, orphans, unwanted children, were often left at the edge of town or left at the low tide mark and be carried out to sea, especially girls. The girls that survived were often enslaved for some of the worst purposes you can imagine. Until Christians came along and said, we'll take all the unwanted babies. First orphanages were built by Christians. The whole idea of foster care arose out of the idea of Christian faith. The idea of recovery, the AA movement, the 12-step movement, that was born out of the Oxford group which said, we don't see any way to change someone who has a profound addiction unless they admit they're powerless over their addiction and there is a God who will help them. Did you know that universities didn't always exist for the purpose of having a football team? But Christians actually gathered and said, you know, there needs to be a place where truth is taught. And so the first universities founded by Christians and I could go on and on and on and tell you, when Christians unite and say, we're going to make a difference, we can be the 10% that changes the world. And what's really sad to me is if you look at the total world population, people who claim to be Christians count for about, about 30% of the world's population. Are we changing the world? So let me ask you, what would your life look like if you were fully devoted to Christ? What would you have to say no to? What would come into your life that would be really good? What purpose would you discover? Now, I'm not going to pretend and tell you that I get this right 100% of the time. I have days just like you where 
I have to remind myself, oh yes, I am a Christian. But here's what I can tell you. On the days when I get this right, even if bad things happen, those are still good days. Now, maybe this will surprise you. I am not going to ask you today to be fully devoted to Jesus because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, this is what it means to be my disciple. But then he says, count the cost. Count the cost. So I simply want to ask you, are you willing to count the cost? Are you willing to think about it? Here's a helpful way. Ask yourself this question. Do I want to want to be fully devoted to Jesus? Maybe you can't say, I want to. Maybe you can just start by saying, I want to want to. And if you're not a believer, maybe, maybe this is your starting point. It's like, okay, I'm not sure about Jesus or any of this. I'm not sure how it works, but I would want to want to know. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to actually confess this to God, that you would want to want to be fully devoted to Jesus. And just be honest, because we're not going to write down any names or anything. And if you're participating online, you can do this as well. And I want you to just think about this. Would your life be better if you were fully devoted to Jesus? I think you know the answer. Would you pray? And if everybody wouldn't mind, just make sure your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and you're not looking around. And if you're online, you can participate in this too. Just as a sign between you and God that you'll you'll take this seriously. Would you say, "I, I want to want to be fully devoted to Jesus? If you're watching online, you can just put in the chat box, I want to want to. We'll understand. And if you're in the room, whether here or Pacala, with no one looking around, would you just raise your hand and say, I want to want to. Nobody's looking around. You can just, I want to want to. Good, I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, you've seen the hands. You you know the folks. God, I know there's some other folks who are just really struggling with that, that question right now, what it might mean for them. Would you show all of us that Jesus is worth it? And I pray for these who want to want to, that you would increase that desire in their heart. I pray, Father, for those watching online who also indicated that they want to take that step, just just to want to. And Father, for people who don't know Jesus, show up in their life in a big way. Help them see that Jesus is worth it all. In his name I pray, amen.